Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Welcome to Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam radio station. I'm your host, Sarah Ward. I'd like to start today's programme by quoting some lines of poetry by the poet Molana Jalaluddin Rumi, which will serve to introduce some of the themes we will cover today. Look at spirit, how it fuses with earth, giving it new life. Why are you so busy with this or that or good or bad? Pay attention to how things blend. Why talk about all the known and the unknown? See how the unknown merges into the known. Why think separately of this life and the next when one is born from the last? Look at your heart and tongue. One feels but deaf and dumb. The other speaks words in words and signs. Look at water and fire. Earth and wind, enemies and friends, all at once. The wolf and the lamb, the lion and the deer, far away yet together. Look at the unity of this spring and winter manifested in the equinox. You too must mingle, my friends, since the earth and the sky are mingled just for you and me. So what themes and ideas stood out to you from this extract? Well, there could be so many. Life and death, birth, animals, change, nature... Well, today's episode covers all of these issues and many more through the lens of cycles. Certain facts of life are known, that we were born and that one day we will pass away, that we will know love, that we may know pain, that the seasons will change and that time will pass. Beyond that, so many of the details of this life are unknown and uncertain. They are shaped both by circumstances beyond our control and also through the choices we ourselves make. The path for every individual, and there are billions of us in the world, is unique and unpredictable. Yet the various cycles we encounter in life, both in the physical and the spiritual world, remain constant despite changes across time. The seasons, for example, continue to change just as they have for millennia. Nerves, experience and confidence continue to wax and wane for us all, just as the moon repeats its patterns each month. So today we'll be looking at these eternal cycles. What wisdom is there in the cycles we see around us? Is there a link between the physical and the spiritual? We'll be examining how cycles are represented in faith and discussing what we can learn about faith from understanding more about the cycles of life. As Mary Curie is quoted as saying, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more that we may fear less. So today we will dive deeper into this subject in our discussion set, uh, section later on. But we begin with a report by Kudzia Ahmed on the concepts of cycles in faith. Assalamu alaikum. You are listening to Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam radio station. There are many forms of cycles in life. They can be physical or metaphorical, but they are littered across the history and literature of most major world religions. Some of the most obvious cycles are those found in nature, day and night, life and death, growth and harvest of food. The dominance and understanding of these cycles is universal and transcends time, culture and language. Worship of the sun and moon, for example, is found amongst the early societies and continued for millennia, 
the ancient Egyptians and Mayans defied the movement of heavenly bodies as an exempt to comprehend the unknown. They were not alone. Native American wisdom contains an understanding of how cycles can impact the patterns of our life. An ancient Sioux proverb is as follows. Everything the power of the world does is done in a circle. The sky is round, and I have heard that the earth is round like a ball, and so are all the stars. The wind, in its greatest power, whirls. Birds make their nests in circles, for theirs is the same religion as ours. The sun comes forth and goes down again in a circle. The moon does the same, and both are round. Even the seasons form a great circle in their changing, and always come back again to where they were. The life of a man is a circle from childhood to childhood, and so it is in everything where power moves. Our teepees were round like the nests of birds, and these were always set in a circle, the nation's hoop, a nest of many nests, where the great spirit meant for us to hatch our children. In this very ancient understanding, some of the main cycles of life have been mentioned, day and night, life and death, seasons of the year. It's a lesson that today's condition will not remain, will change and will move on. It is a reminder that life is not stagnant, but is ever-changing. Other faiths have also attempted to understand the changing yet eternal cycles they saw in life. Hinduism also tries to understand and conceptualise the most basic cycles of life. A Hindu person's perspective is as follows, and I quote, Hinduism perceives time as cyclical. This is based on our own experience of time in terms of days and nights. We see this cyclical pattern in days, weeks, months, years, seasons and yugas or epochs. So from this perspective, time is a never-ending cyclical process, which is both repetitive and exhaustive. In a sense, it is limited. In another, it is eternal. From a spiritual perspective, time exists when we are in a state of duality. But it disappears when we enter into the state of unity or samadhi. Each time cycle has three components, srishti, stiti and laya. Srishti means creation, stiti means continuation and laya means dissolution. Each time cycle begins with creation, continues for a certain duration of time and then dissolves into nothingness. After a brief respite, the cycle begins all over again. These three aspects of time are under the control of the Trinity, Brahma, Vishnu and Siva. Brahma is responsible for creation, Vishnu for existence and Siva for dissolution. We can see the same divisions in a day also. Each day is created in the early hours, continues throughout the day and then finally dissolves into darkness. We can see the same pattern in life also as childhood, adulthood and old age. End quote. So it is abundantly clear that the physical cycles we can see have been linked to the concept of God by all faiths. That all faiths, whatever their origin, location or age, equate the Earth's visual cycles with the notion of a creator or a being that exists beyond the confines of what we witness here in our reality. The cycles of the Earth are understood as indicative of the power of a creator god, which contain a wisdom and message for mankind. They are not insignificant or arbitrary. 
The Bible itself in the chapter Genesis opens with the well-known refrain, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Light, therefore, is one of the earliest creations mentioned in the biblical creation story. It is a basic need for humankind to see clearly what is around them. A reminder that life is always changing and does not remain static, and there are two sides to life, the good and the dark. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 introduces another dimension to this light at a later point, after the creation of vegetation and land. And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. This introduces immediately the most obvious and ancient of cycles, that of night and day. Whatever disorder, despair, joy or celebration happens in our own life, there is nothing which can prevent or speed up this cycle of the natural world. This mention of night and day comes before the creation of animals in the biblical chronology. Day and night is also described as a sign, something which contains a message which should be noted. And it is not a leap of the imagination to draw these conclusions. The Bible often compares the teachings of Jesus as light. Psalm 119, 105, for example, says the following. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Islam further elucidates on the notion of day and night and the cycles of nature as being a significant foundation to faith in God. The Holy Quran states, Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternation of night and day, and in the ships which sail in the sea, with that which profits men, and in the water which Allah sends down from the sky, and quickens therewith the earth after its death, and scatters therein all kinds of beasts, and in the change of the winds, and the clouds pressed into service between the heaven and the earth, are indeed signs for the people who understand. Unambiguously, Islam states that these cycles of nature are significant to faith. It uses the word signs as also used in the Bible to indicate that the existence of a creator God is evidenced in these eternal cycles of life. And it cannot be denied these eternal cycles of day and night, growth and fruition, life and death, continue thousands of years after these religious texts were written. As mankind has developed reading, writing, travel, flight and even the internet, they may have felt invincible. Inside our modern heated building we may feel removed from the harsh extremes of seasons, nighttime and natural hazards. But the truth remains that we cannot remove ourselves from these natural cycles. However insulated and secure our dwellings are, we are still all subject to the passage of time and the movement of day and night. And this, perhaps, is the message of all these faiths, that mankind cannot remove themselves from the creation of God. They cannot exist outside of it, nor can they control these natural cycles. 
We see that vulnerability through the impact of drought and flood when they sadly occur. So what sign do these cycles send to you? When you ponder the repeated cycles in the world around us that are eternal and unceasing, what conclusions do you draw? Thank you, Kudsia, for that insightful report. You are listening to Faith in Focus on the Voice of Islam radio station. And now we'll take a short break. Please join us again after when we'll be discussing in more detail how cycles are linked to faith. You are listening to Faith in Focus. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Musrur Ahmad has said, Unquestionably, it is a mother who cares and nourishes her child more than any other person. In return, it is the duty of a child to love his mother and to serve her. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. You're listening to Faith in Focus on The Voice of Islam Radio Station, where today we are discussing cycles. We've just heard about the cycles of nature, which are a repeated motif and a sign in religious literature from around the world. And of course, many of the cycles we see in life are based in nature. There is the water cycle, the carbon cycle, the tides coming in and out, the seasons cycling to mark the passing of the year. Many of these I've taught in my time as a class teacher. Um, And there are some cycles which are more personal, emotional cycles of loss, reproduction, ageing, hormonal cycles, etc. So as individuals, we are not immune from the impact of cycles, whether they are noticeable and known to us or not. And in this discussion segment, we'll be looking at the personal and spiritual impact of these cycles on us as individuals and on our relationship with God. I'm joined in this discussion by Shazia Bhatti and Annie Butt. Shazia is a solicitor specialising in immigration and a mother of two. Annie is a primary school teacher and the philosophy for children's lead across her school. Assalamu alaikum, ladies, and welcome. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having us. Wa alaikum salam. I mean, I'd like to start by asking, you know, just on a personal note, what cycles do you notice in your life and how how do they impact you? What are your initial thoughts, Shazia? I think that the cycle that was mentioned in the early report by Khudsia, uh, which is in the Bible and the Holy Quran, is the cycle of night and day. I think those of us with children will note the changes in seasons and when it's light in the summer when we are trying to get our children to sleep and trying to explain to them that although it is light outside, it is night time and time to sleep. And of course the weekends that the time changes in the UK, either an hour forward or an hour backward, makes things all the more complicated for those of us with, with smaller children. But on a more serious note, Allah has given us day and night. Daytime is for us to work and get on with our lives, including prayers, and nighttime is for resting. But even in the stillness of the night, we as Muslims try to get up to pray. Allah has created us in such a way that we need our rest to rejuvenate our bodies and minds so that we can carry on in the day. In the Holy Quran, Allah says, and I will quote, By the growing brightness of the forenoon, and by the night when it becomes still, thy Lord has not forsaken thee, nor is he displeased with thee. And that's from chapter 93, verses 2 to 4. 
The Promised Messiah on whom be peace, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, gave a discourse on intermission in divine revelation, and after quoting the above verse that was read out, he said, and I will again quote, It is sworn by the testimony of the time of the swelling of the sunlight and of night. Neither has your Lord forsaken you, nor was he displeased with you. Its meaning is that just as the day dawns and the night naturally befalls thereafter, and then the light of the day subsequently comes manifest, it is no reflection of God's pleasure or displeasure. In other words, it's neither understood from the dawning of the day that God Almighty is pleased with his servants at that time, nor is it understood from the falling of the night that God Almighty is displeased with his servants at that time. Rather, by observing this alternation, every wise person can easily understand that this occurs according to the laws established by God Almighty. It is his ordained rule of operation that night follows the day and the day follows the night. Thus it is wrong to surmise from the observation of this sequence that God Almighty is pleased at this time or is displeased at that time. And in the same way, any extent of interruption in the sequence of divine revelation these days does not prove that God Almighty has become displeased with me or that he has forsaken me. Rather, it is his norm that for a period of time divine revelation occurs with great force and one after the other, and for a few days it remains in abeyance, and then it starts again. It's just like the day and night following each other, end quote. And this is from uh, Mulfuzat. Okay, so I think it's quite strange how uh, the concept of cycles didn't really speak to me at all until the natural cycle of seasons became one that I finally learned to appreciate during my autumn hikes last year. Um, and I'd never been on forest walks or hikes except in the summer, So last year when I decided to keep up with my newly found passion for hiking, I was absolutely stunned by the natural beauty as the leaves in the woods changed colour and slowly fell to the ground. And this started a reflective process and a lot of things started to make sense, especially in terms of what we often refer to as the life's ups and downs. And I expressed this reflective process in the form of a poem called Seasons of the Heart as well. Mm, I completely agree. And I think when you do look at nature and you see that, fading away and rejuvenation and regrowth it it does speak to um exactly as you said your emotional journey and we'll discuss that more later on but the holy quran has mentioned some of the cycles that we've talked about um those of gardens blooming and then becoming barren later on um it discusses the cycle of life and death as a sign um so these things are spoken about as a as a sign from god What do you feel is meant by this? What is the purpose of a sign? And how can somebody of faith um, use that sign to support their journey through life? I mean, I think there's a saying, isn't there, that the only things that are certain are death and taxes. Um, And I think as Muslims, and I think for all people with a belief in God, we have a belief in the afterlife. And we believe that the actions that we carry out in this life will affect how God will decide on our afterlife. And we know that the purpose of our life here on earth is to worship God and do good to other people. And I think this is a sign, you know, this is what we should see as a sign is the purpose of our lives. Some people pass away at a a younger age. um, And when we see examples of those people and we hear all that they achieved, either in their worldly life or their spiritual life or both, um, and they use the time that they had, these are lessons and signs for us. And it reminds us of our purpose in life and what we have achieved in our spiritual life and what we can do to achieve more. You know, there are sometimes uh, times in a person's life where spiritually we do feel barren, but it's at that point it's important we don't give up and lose our faith and we remain patient and steadfast as we know that if we do so, our spiritual life will flourish. There is a verse of the Holy Quran which says, and I quote, 
Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the alteration of the night and day, and in the ships with with sail in the sea, with that which profits men, and in the water which Allah sends down from the sky, and quickens therewith the earth after its death, and scatters therein all kinds of beasts, and in the change of the winds and the clouds, pressed into service between the heavens and the earth, are indeed signs for people who understand. And that's from chapter 2, verse 165. Hazrat Mirza Ahmad commented on this verse in his Friday sermon of the 1st of May 2009, and said that the creation of the heaven and the earth is a blessing among the numerous blessings of God. And as the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, elucidated, many worlds exist on earth and each creation has its own world. And it's interesting to read the explanation in the five-volume commentary of the Quranic verse read out earlier in the report, which says, In the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the night and day, there are indeed signs for men of understanding. The commentary says that the whole universe is created to serve man. So the creation of man must also have a great purpose. Of men, some are bright like the sun, and there are others who possess no intrinsic light of their own, but borrow it from others. Such men place themselves in right relation to the sun of the spiritual realm become enlightened, while those that keep away from it are left in the dark. The commentary goes on to say that man ponders over the spiritual implication of the physical phenomenon of the creation of the heavens and the earth, the alternation of the night and day, and the consummate order that pervades the universe. He is deeply impressed with the wisdom of the Creator. And a sign from God can support us in our lives. When we believe in God, we see signs from God in nature, um, as you said, Annie, and in all aspects of our lives. Once we see more and more signs, we have more of a belief in the unity and oneness of God. And all of these signs help us to live our lives. Yes, I definitely think that um, the natural world, for those who believe in a God, that's God's creation. So observation of the natural world is does cause you to ponder over the creator who, who produced this. Um, but coming to you, Annie, do you see any cycles in your own spiritual life? Do you think those cycles are sort of planned out deliberately as a normal passage of things? Or do you think they sort of happen outside of your control? So as I was mentioning, nature's cycle of seasons and how it made me think of life's ups and downs, I couldn't help but to think, what if it's not a matter of highs and lows, but a cyclical pattern, you know, just like seasons? Those who believe in God will see his signs in everything around them, and they will see the proof of his existence in his creations. This is why most of my reflections do guide me towards his word, as really nothing is more powerful than his reassurance in the form of the Holy Quran. It was during this hike in the forest when I felt lost, um, maybe literally and spiritually, that I found the Quranic verse in chapter 93, verse 8, and I quote, And he found thee wandering in search of him and guided thee unto himself. So this verse supported me during that part of my spiritual journey when I did feel lost. Allah knows what's in your heart and he foretells that there will be times when you will feel lost and your heart and mind may even wander into realms of your hurtful past or into the unknown future. So how beautiful is it that he reassures you that for those who will be wandering in search of him, he will guide them unto himself? This is why I believe that these highs and lows may be closely linked to inner peace or should I say the inevitable battle for inner peace. As much as this sounds like a paradox, those autumnal hikes allowed me to see that inner peace may actually not be a final destination. 
As a society, we are often so driven by outcomes and final destinations rather than the process or the journey. Now, if I look back at my own spiritual journey, I can see one big cycle, which started at my birth and will be completed as I return to my creator. But through my writings and my art, I can also see cycles that are recurring. There were times when I thought I'd finally reached a level of inner peace, or at least what I thought was close to it, until that state was disturbed once again by external factors that were not in my control. So once again, this reflective process would start and lead me back to another Quranic quote, which I would then turn into calligraphy art. So my art is quite an expressive signpost to my spiritual journey so far. And from my personal experiences, I have found that inner peace is not the absence of trials or hurt, but the cycle of growth towards a stronger connection with yourself. And through this self-awareness, we become closer to our creator, to As-Salam, the source of peace. And during these trials, when we do feel utterly lost, we find a deeper connection with God. And that is how inner peace is attained. I think that's really interesting what you said about inner peace is not the final destination. But, you know, it might be you find inner peace, but then you have to go back on that journey again. And I I definitely think you've given uh, listeners a lot to reflect over there. Um, and I can feel myself starting to, <laughs> to, to think about it at the yeah. moment. Um, you know, and we're you know we're talking about how can we find control in our lives. You mentioned external factors, Annie, there that were beyond your control, and I think many of us do want to have mm. a degree of control over the things that happen to us. So control is a very big issue for a lot of people in the world, and I I definitely see it even in my classroom with six year olds. They they do struggle to have some degree over control over what's happening. But when events or cycles appear, and they can, as you mentioned, be beyond our control, that can feel overwhelming and perhaps even frightening, which is certainly something I see in, in even in young children. So what advice can you offer to someone who, who is struggling to respond to cycles which are beyond their control? I mean, I think that it's very scary for someone who doesn't have a faith or a belief in God to understand things when they aren't going our way. It's scary as it sometimes seems as though everything is going wrong and nothing will ever go right again. But it's at these times that those of us who do have a belief in God can use prayer as a way of imploring God to help us. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said that one should have the utmost belief that Allah can accept prayers instantly, within a second, and the person who does does have that belief should recognise that they are standing before the all-hearing, all-knowing and all-encompassing God. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said to pray with great fervour and to never lose hope. And this was uh, from the summary of an opening address by His Holiness at the UK Annual Convention 2019, known as Jalsa Salana. Um, I have here with me an amazing quote of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, about times, or as you said, Sarah, cycles beyond our control. He said, and I quote, During the interval between a supplication and its acceptance, one is often subjected to trial after trial, some of which are backbreaking. A persevering and good-natured supplicant smells the perfume of the favours of his Lord in these trials and difficulties, and his intelligence informs him that they will be followed by help. One aspect of these trials is that they foster eagerness for prayer. The greater the distress of the supplicant, the more his soul will be melted. This is one of the factors in the acceptance of prayer. So one should never lose heart and should not think ill of God through impatience and restlessness. One should never think that one's prayer is not accepted or will not be accepted. Such a notion is the denial of the attribute of God that he accepts prayers. 
and that's from Mulfuzat, volume 4, page 434. I think the belief in God makes us realise that the problems we are facing will pass and that there are good times ahead too. We as believers in God take the long view and acknowledge that we are in the part of the cycle where we are having problems, but we understand that we will get to another part of the cycle where things are not so bad for us. God Almighty in the Holy Quran says, O ye who believe, seek help with patience and prayer. Surely Allah is with the steadfast. And that's chapter 2, verse 154. If we give up on our beliefs because we are going through some hardship, perhaps we should ask ourselves, are we really true believers in God at all? I would also like to briefly mention an Islamic concept of spiritual cycles that we as humans go through. I would like to quote a passage of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, explaining this. He says, and I quote, Man undergoes a state of both spiritual contraction, gusb, and spiritual expansion, bust. In the state of spiritual expansion, one's pleasure and delight in worship heightens. The heart is open, one's inclination to God increases, and warmth and comfort is derived from the prayer. However, on certain occasions, man experiences a state in which this passion and eagerness is lost, and the heart becomes constricted. When this state of affair arises, one should seek forgiveness from Allah profusely, invoke salutations upon the Holy Prophet abundantly, and offer prayer again and again. This is the only way to do away with one state of spiritual connection of the heart. End quote. We are humans and we make mistakes, and we will go through periods where we are not doing the things in the way we should. But as Allah knows us and our hearts, we can turn back to him and ask for forgiveness. God gives us a promise in the Holy Quran that there is ease after hardship. And that's from chapter 94, verse 7. And I think, you know, we've all seen that in our own lives. I mean, we won't know joy if we don't know sadness. And we won't know health when we don't know illness. So we need to go through all of these emotions and feelings. Um, and that's what being a human is about. All of our emotions are valid and not negative or positive, and it's okay to feel scared and overwhelmed, but we need to learn how to deal with these emotions and not fall apart when we come across adversity, but have the patience and steadfastness to know that things will become better for us. Thank you, Shazi. As you said that, you know, all our emotions are valid and not negative or positive. So to answer your question, Sarah, as someone who's experienced coercive control for several years, regaining control was really a big part of the healing process. This is why these inevitable cycles can often, as you said, be really overwhelming and even trigger those parts of our experiences that we have so neatly tucked away as processing them may just be too painful. Now, my journey of regaining control and then recognizing this cyclical nature of healing and inner peace and how part of this cycle can serve as huge triggers was all a blessing in disguise. As Mulana Rumi said, these pains you feel are messengers, listen to them. And whenever I felt the pain to be unbearable, I would be reminded of the Quranic verse which states that Allah burdens not any soul beyond its capacity. Chapter 2, verse 287. So this gave me the emotional strength to dig deeper where these messengers were leading me to and whether this was part of the healing cycle. Every time I feel that I'm attuning better to these messages and I recognize how with each struggle for control, I'm learning to respond better. I'm learning where the root lies for this overwhelming feeling. And as much as I can't control the external factors, I do know that my efforts are not in vain. So when despite all my efforts, things do not go as anticipated, I find my peace through knowing that Allah is the best of planners. So I see rejection or failure as redirection. 
Although I'm hardly an expert to advise anyone who may be struggling to respond to these cycles, I would like to share my strategies and, and these evolve often along with me. So I don't think this is a fixed recipe for success in any way. The first thing is to acknowledge our feelings, because as you said as well, Shazia, hiding or ignoring them will only make the trigger stronger. Then when we can see these triggers as a messenger, they can be used as a stimulus for critical self-reflection. Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese poet and philosopher, refers to these stimuli and writes, Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. And you would accept the seasons of your heart, even as you have always accepted the seasons that pass over your fields. So often it is feelings of hurt, guilt and fear that make us feel overwhelmed. And when we dig deeper and look what underpins these feelings, what life concepts have allowed us to harbour these feelings against ourselves. So during one of my reflective cycles, I wrote a poem entitled Barriers. And if I may read it now. Exhausted by the body's painful growth, the heart forgot its sworn oath. Wandering through the realms of past, a dark shadow upon the mind was cast. The heart's doubts fueled with fears, its passion doused by endless tears. Relentless waves of internal fight, a self-imposed cage hindering the flight. The fences built to keep it guarded will slowly need to be discarded. These obsolete barriers, no purpose is served. Break them down to receive what's deserved. So this, po this poem is really encapsulating the emotions during these triggering moments and also what the purpose might be. Our doubts and fears may overshadow all those things that we have been blessed with to the point that we become our own biggest barrier. As Khalil Gibran writes, and I quote, And what is it but fragments of your own self you would discard that you may become free? We forget that Allah has bigger plans for us and these cycles are merely a reminder of the redirection we may need or the growth that is required to fully reach our potential mentally, emotionally, physically and most importantly, spiritually. Thank you. I think you've both provided a lot of um, moments for reflection there and, and to understand, you know, as you said, that every, every feeling is valid and to understand that how you're feeling today is not the end of the journey, which you spoke about, Annie, earlier, mm -hmm. that, you know, how you're feeling right now isn't isn't how you would necessarily always remain. And I know that for many people, that's that's really key to moving forward, is knowing that this, this too will pass. Um, and there are lots of people around the world who make a plan. Um, for example, we've all heard of the five-year plan or the two-year plan for how they're going to progress in life, how they wish their life to be. It might be a financial plan. Um, it might be a five-year uh, you know, plan of how their family will develop or change. So many different ideas, or maybe professionally. Can our knowledge of cycles, whether it's spiritual or physical, help us to plan? Um, as so many people have talked about the benefit of, of planning. Um, do you think that a plan can be a useful thing? So, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that the Allah or having complete trust in Allah is not lived through praying alone without any physical efforts made towards the completion of the plans we pray for. So people often quote this verse from chapter 8, verse 31, and I quote, And they planned, and Allah has also planned, and Allah is the best of planners. 
However, they forget that praying alone is not what Allah or His Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, have guided us on. Anas bin Malik narrated that a man said, and I quote, O Messenger of Allah, shall I tie it and rely upon Allah, or leave it loose and rely upon Allah? He said, tie it and rely upon Allah. This hadith or saying of the Holy Prophet reminds us that reliance on Allah is not just practiced through praying alone. Allah sends resources our way and it is important for us to use our logical thinking and have plans in place alongside prayers. The Holy Quran also reiterates that passive trust in Allah is not enough. And I quote, and that man will have nothing but what he strives for. Chapter 53 verse 40. The five-volume commentary of the Holy Quran sheds light on this verse and I quote, It is after unremitting, incessant and persistent striving accompanied by noble ideals and sublime principles that one can achieve the object of one's quest. I also have a quote of the promised Messiah, peace be on him, on how prayer and planning work hand in hand. He wrote, and if I may quote, As the relationship between planning and prayer is proved by the law of nature, it is also proved by the testimony of the book of nature. It is often observed that as human temperaments at a time of distress incline towards planning and remedies, in the same way the incline by natural eagerness towards prayer and almsgiving and charity. This is a spiritual argument that the inner law of man has from the beginning directed all peoples that they should not separate prayer from means and planning, but should search for plans with prayer. In short, prayer and planning are two natural demands of human nature, which ever since the creation of man have been servants of human nature, like two real brothers. Planning is the necessary consequence of prayer, and prayer incites towards planning. End quote. So to get back to your question whether planning is beneficial at all when so many factors or cycles are outside of our control, I truly believe that these references from the Holy Quran and the Hadith guide us towards having a vision and putting all our best efforts to it being fulfilled. At each turn of this plan, from the start to its completion, we ask Allah for guidance and success. Now, if despite all our efforts and our prayers, things still did not go as planned, then we can see this as part of our spiritual cycle where our faith and trust in Allah is tested. This, however, does not mean that we ignore the emotions we feel. It is important to allow ourselves to feel the full extent of our feelings, as ignoring them can result to harboring guilt, anger or resentment, which will not serve our purpose at all. Thank you, Annie. I think, again, you've mentioned many, many points there that um, are going to be very useful for people. So my next question is that have you been conscious and aware of any cycles in the world around you? Could you tell us how and why you became aware of them? I think the weather and the seasons are one thing which, you know, I'm aware of and that we pass through it every year. But it's funny, though, we get to winter, which we go through every year. And still, the cold hits us like a shock to our system. And it doesn't matter how many times we've gone through it year on year, and it still feels we are feeling the cold for the first time. I think living where we do in London, we often live, we don't live according to natural cycles. In the winter, we stay indoors in our heated homes, and so for much of the day, we don't feel the cold so much. 
I think, however, this year more than years previously, I and many others are trying to save some more money and not switch the heating on and instead putting on more layers. And by doing that, I think we understand the cold a bit more and rather than just hiding in the in the warmth of our houses. Other cycles that we see all the time are our children getting older, us getting older and our parents getting older. I mean, we see our children grow on a day-to-day basis, but it's when we see people after some time that we can see their growth and maturity. This year at Ajal Sasalana, the annual convention, there were so many people who saw my children and were amazed and that how they had grown, and the same was with me and the people that I saw. I think it was even more obvious this year, and it had been three years since I'd seen some people. I mean, it's obviously hard to see our parents get older and more fragile, as we think of them as the strongest people we know. When we have um, a baby, those first few weeks and months with a lack of sleep, you think you're never going to be able to cope and manage. But we do. And when we go on to have more children, because we've been through that baby phase once before, we know we can get through it and it will get better. Even in the economy of our countries and seeing various governments, we see that there are always cycles. Things get worse and things get better. Government changes... Um, and different policies, and these affect our country's economics. But if these policies don't work, the governments will change and the economy will change. Again, these are all cycles that we go through throughout our lifetime. Thank you, Shazia. I definitely think uh, those are some thoughts that many people will be thinking about at the moment. Um, But again, they possibly come back in 10 years' time, the same sort of discussions we'll be having had about government policy, etc., So, you know, which of the many cycles, and we've mentioned a lot today, um, we've talked about the natural and the spiritual, but which ones do you think are the most significant to your own experience? And why do you think that particular cycle resonates with you? So as soon as this concept of cycles as a topic for a Faith in Focus show was mentioned, um, my mind went straight to the cyclical nature of healing and inner peace. So I spoke earlier about how inner peace is often seen as a final destination. When I've experienced it more as a cycle where I learn to respond better with every turbulence or as my friend calls it, blips. It doesn't mean that we are back at square one. These times are important for us to be reminded that we should continue to dig deeper into ourselves and find those parts of our identity that still need evolving. So if we conclude during one of our more peaceful moments that we have reached a state of inner peace, then are we concluding that we have fully evolved into the best versions of ourselves? This is why I truly believe that these cycles are merely a reminder for me that I'm a work in progress and I will always turn to the perfect book, the Holy Quran, for guidance on this journey, God willing. Hmm. Um, And uh, Shazi, if I come to you, do you think there are any cycles which have diminished in significance in your life and why do you think that that's been the case? I think when when people are younger, when definitely when I was younger, things seemed to me more black and white. It was either right or wrong. But I think when you grow older through the cycles of life and have more self and life experience, you know, you understand people more and things which may have bothered me about the way other people behaved or acted or something they said would have affected me more. But I think now I think of things differently and I'm more inclined to understand that people do things in different ways. It's like before you have children, you think you're going to bring them up and do things in a certain way. And then you have children and all those ideas go out the window and you do the best you can. And from a perspective of health, women go through cycles in their life. But I think it's very important that we have education so we understand what our bodies are going through and what they will go through in the future. 
We know that in our lives, and we all have health and biological and physical cycles, we are born, grow, learn to walk, talk, etc. Then we grow and move into the teenage and adolescent years of our life when we are trying to learn more about the world, trying to become more independent from our parents and make our own decisions. Then we move into adulthood, we have jobs and start families, and then we learn how hard our parents had it when we were young. And then we move into middle and then old age. And some say that, you know, when you get to old age, it's like we're becoming children again because we have physical ailments and become frailer and need more help. And that's the cycle of life that most people go through. Absolutely. And um, Annie, if I come to you, once you were aware of these cycles, have you said, um, did you try to limit the influence and the impact it had on your life? Is it possible to to, to limit these cycles? Um, <laughs> I do believe that the first step is awareness of these cycles being present in your life. Um, and this comes through self-awareness and keeping track of how these cycles impact on our mind and body. So, for example, I do keep a journal which has allowed me to document how it impacts on my daily life. And most of all, it really showed the cyclical nature of healing. So this means that when I do feel overwhelmed, I can look back and remember times when things were a lot harder, but I got through it. So we often do forget how far we have come. And this is why I have this habit of starting each journal entry with Alhamdulillah, which means all praise belongs to Allah. Regardless of how difficult the day has been, I make sure that I write something to express gratitude. And sometimes it might just be being thankful that the day passed and Allah gave me the strength to get through it. I don't believe that we can influence the cycles or the external factors, but we can control our response to them. So taking a step back and allowing ourselves the time to process rather than act or react in the moment can save us from a lot of distress later. Also, I found that I'm my hardest critic, so allowing myself to feel and express these emotions is really important for me. As I've started doing this over the years, I can see that I'm getting better at responding to moments of turbulence before I get back to plain sailing again. So seeing that gives me the mental and emotional strength to allow myself to live each moment to its fullest and not let that fear and doubt of what tomorrow might bring snatch the present away from me. Mm. And, you know, we can look around the world and see that life is constantly changing, as, as we've discussed um, nowadays, we're also noticing the changing of natural cycles. We're seeing much, many more extreme events, such as devastating floods, as they've had in Pakistan recently, severe storms, as they've had in, in the Caribbean and other places, or even drought, as some parts of the world are experiencing. We know that in the not-too-distant future, life for many people on the planet will change beyond previous experience. So, you know, I think it's worth considering that and and thinking that, you know, should we be worried about these changes? Will that change in the natural world impact the cycles we see around us? I mean, I think, you know, in reference to the verse that I discussed earlier and in that verse and in his holiness's comments about it, he said that ships sail through the seas and are a means of trade as well as a major source of freight transport in the world even today. The water of the seas transform into clouds and bring down the signs of life back to earth. Indeed, without water, agriculture would be non-existence and the world would be famine-struck. Hazur cited verse 31 of chapter 67, Al-Mulk, and he said, Say, tell me, if your water sinks into a deep recess, who will then bring you clear-flowing water? And he explained that the water in this earth is only life-giving when it takes the shape of God's water coming down from the sky. 
His Holiness said that farmers world over know that winds blowing into specific directions bring specific benefits to crops. And all this is not mere coincidence, but a proof of the existence of God. When we understand and reflect and ponder the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alternation of the night and day and the changing seasons strengthens our belief in the existence of God. Of course, we also need to consider how what we do and what we do, how how it affects our environment. In response to a question on climate change and how it can be tackled, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed said, climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas and because of this forests are being cut and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. So you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. And in recognition and gratitude to Allah for the centenary of the Ladies Auxiliary Organisation of Lajna Imaila, ladies of the UK pledged to plant 100,000 trees in our centenary year. I've been planting trees for this cause and it's amazing getting back to nature and doing something to improve our country in this way. We can see the seasons and weather changing due to the impact of pollution on the environment and we have to understand that only we can change our own behaviour to ensure that the seasons and the temperatures of the world remain as they are. We know how climate change is affecting our planet and how the cycles of seasons and weathers have been affected and will continue to be affected and many people around the world will suffer adversely due to this. Before we even knew about wastage and pollution and how it would affect our world, Islam gave us such beautiful guidance and teachings about not wasting the resources that we have been given through his grace and mercy. It's evident from Ahadith or sayings of the Holy Prophet that Muslims have a religious duty to safeguard the world's natural environment. For instance, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, The world is sweet and green, and verily Allah has appointed you as a representative and a trustee over it. Thank you, Shazia. And um, I do believe that uh, Islam does inculcate these values of uh, looking after the planet as us acting as custodians over the natural world. So, you know, given that we've said these changes are happening and even changes to natural cycles can be seen, um, do you think cycles, both spiritual and physical, will will always exist? Is there a point at which we could live a life outside of or without the impact from the cycles that we've discussed? No, actually, I don't think cycles would ever change. And the reason is that world, which is Allah's creation, is built on cycles. So the cycles won't change. However, the impact of cycles impact different people in different ways. You know, some countries don't experience seasons in the same way, but that doesn't mean that the cycles are not there. If God has, de- has designed a world in with cycles in it, there must be some reason for that. We need to reflect on that and learn something and have respect for, for the cycles that we go through. I mean, we in the West live in a society generally where we don't grow food, but we buy food from the supermarket, where we don't buy or grow seasonal food because that is all that we can grow. But instead, we import food from all over the world. So we don't really understand the importance of the seasons, the seasonal cycles and the impact of it on growing food. We saw during the first few months of the COVID pandemic how difficult it was to source some foods. But if we lived in a society where we grew our own food and had our own animals, we'd be used to that and we'd be used to getting food that is in season. Allah also instructs us not to focus on extravagance and to share the benefit of everything that he has bestowed upon man. He states in the Holy Quran, I quote, And he it is who brings into being gardens, trellised and untrellised, and the date palm and the cornfields, whose fruits are of the diverse kind, 
and the olives and the pomegranates alike and unalike. Eat of the fruit of each when it bears fruit, but pay his due on the day of harvest and exceed not the bounds. Surely Allah loves not those who exceed the bounds. This sounds like we should be growing out and eating our own foods that are in season. I mean, we need to take responsibility for our own actions, but where people use their own privilege and selfishness, it's very difficult to affect change. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, don't waste water even if you were by a running river. And although I don't live by a running river, we do have continuous flow of water from our taps, but we still need to learn not to waste this precious resource. This is because water is the origin of life. And as the Holy Quran says in chapter 21, verse 31, and we made from water every living thing. It's important that we understand that we can affect change by going back to a simpler lifestyle. I mean, many people during the COVID lockdown and pandemic and, and, and the time that's come after that did start affecting change by growing some of their own vegetables or fruit. And because we were traveling so much less, the level of pollution went down. We were forced to do things during lockdown, but we can see that these things are possible and encouraged in Islam. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings on him, understood the significance of trees in protecting the environment from climate change even more you know, and that's even more than a thousand years ago. He always forbade his companions from destroying trees, even during combat, and laid great emphasis on planting more. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, There is none amongst you who plants a tree or sows, sows seeds, and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from them, but that would be taken as an act of charity for him. And he also said, Anyone who plants a tree and waits patiently for it to bear fruit, that will be on his behalf an act of charity whenever anything benefits from this tree. Thank you, Shazia. Um, it just remains for me to thank our guests for their contributions today. I hope that our listeners have enjoyed the discussion of how cycles are a fundamental part of life and that while we cannot live without cycling through certain phases, we can embrace the change and utilise faith to support us as we go through them. I would like to leave our listeners with an extract from the writings of the Promised Messiah on whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, from his text, Our Teachings. Be kind and merciful to humanity, for all are his creatures. Do not oppress them with your tongue or hands or in any other way. Always work for the good of mankind. Never unduly assert yourself with pride over others, even those who are placed under you. Never use abusive language for anyone, even though he abuses you. Be humble in spirit, kind and gentle and forgiving, sympathetic towards all and wishing them well, so that you should be accepted. Turn wholly and solely to him, so that you lose interest in this world. Become entirely his, living wholly for his will and pleasure, for his sweet sake, hating everything impure and sinful, for indeed he is holy. Every morning should be a witness for you that you spent the night with righteousness and every evening should be a witness for you that you went through the day with the fear of God in your heart. And I will leave you with this uplifting message that every chance, every night is a chance to reflect on the, day, uh, the events of the day and to set goals or plans for the day coming. And just like the rising of the sun each morning, there is a new chance to do better and be better and inch forward towards those patterns of life which sustain the heart and soothe the soul. So for me, this is a sign in the most clear of cycles that hope, hope is everlasting, just as the changing of the night and the day springs eternal. So please join me next time for Faith in Focus, which is produced by Mrs. Shamin Butt. And join us to tune in for more discussions. 
Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you.